Hello, hello, welcome back to Loki's Librarian. If you are new here, welcome. This is where I am reading through the enormous library of books you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and I tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. I decided this year to give my brain a mini break from nonfiction. So if we have a month with five Sundays and the first Sunday I'm going to read a fiction book. Okay, maybe not quite this year, a few months ago because we've already had a month with five. Anyways, anyways, um, in this case it's non-fiction adjacent because this week's book of the week is 1984 by George Orwell. And I was inspired in this pick by President Biden's horrible decision to create a disinformation governance board. Which I think that has fallen by the wayside probably because of the endless mockery he got and everybody calling it the Ministry of Truth, which is straight out of 1984. And the accompanying cocktail was found by Google searching Ingsoc cocktail, which kicked back in 1984, which consists of one ounce of gin, a half ounce of lemon juice, a half ounce of clove infused simple syrup, and one teaspoon of coffee. So let's do this. I think for the most part, people are, but I think for the most part, people are familiar with George Orwell's 1984. They're, they're at least familiar with it because it has so thoroughly entered the modern zeitgeist. I mean, Big Brother, who is the, the eponymous, always there, always watching, always listening bad guy, if you will, in 1984. Hollywood thought that was a fine idea and actually created a TV show called Big Brother in 2000 that is still going. So 22 years later, people still think it's a good idea that you should be watched 24 hours a day. Lord, Lord, Lord's help us. We got Big Brother, Ministry of Truth, Doublespeak, Newspeak, Thought Police, Thought Crime. These are all concepts that came to us courtesy of 1984. But what's the actual story? All right. I mean, these are things that most people knew. I had certainly heard of them. I was well versed in each of these concepts, if not the actual history of where they came from. I, mean, I knew they came from 1984. I had actually never read the book before. This was not required reading for me when I was in school. I just realized my, I feel like my, oh, here's my shirt. Make 1984 fiction again. It's a solid advice. We should make 1984 fiction again. What's the actual story? So the book has been out since like 1949. No joke. So I don't necessarily feel a spoiler alert is necessary, but if you don't want spoilers, then your road ends here. Because I'm going to tell you the story of, of Winston Smith, who is our protagonist. I already have a sliced lemon from last week, so that makes it easy. So Winston Smith works for the records department at the Ministry of Truth. Okay. And his whole job consists of correcting the record. So anything that in the past the party had said happened that has now changed, he has to go in and change it. He has to locate the original file, pull the file, tell them what changes need to be made, and make those changes. That's his job. That is what he does. He works for the Ministry of Truth. Anybody notice the irony there? There's very little truth if you're lying about the past. So... The example, one of the examples is if a person is unpersoned, Winston ha would be tasked with changing the past news articles or reference the person to something that jived with the party message. Unpersoned could be read as canceled, incidentally, with extreme prejudice. Yeah. Cancel culture is the civilian version of civilians in the 21st century doing what the party does in 1984 without the death at the end. 
1984, once you're unpersoned, you're executed. All right? They delete all trace of you from living memory. Nobody will ever know that you ever existed. That is unpersoning in 1984. And that's very much what cancel culture aims to do, right? They're trying to unperson people, trying to make it so... Oh, I don't care if the clothes are in there. The clothes can be in there because they're going to be strained out. So once you're unpersoned, you're executed. I mean, you can come back from cancel culture. You can even refuse to be canceled and say, no, I'm not, I'm not co-signing this bullshit. You can, you know, you can do a Tom McDonald right off and nobody can actually cancel you at that point because you've re refused the sentence they have proclaimed upon you. That's it. Four parts. This is an easy one. Allow me to shake. So you can refuse to be canceled, but you cannot refuse to be unpersoned in 1984. That is not an option when the government is doing the canceling. Nice, right? So the cocktail actually calls for the glass to be rimmed with cocoa powder. So I did that beforehand. You're supposed to garnish it with cloves and lemon. I'm just going to garnish it with lemon because I left the cloves downstairs and I don't feel like getting them. So I just put the lemon in there whatever. I could fish the cloves out if I wanted to. I'm not going to. Winston has lived just about his whole life. I don't think he was actually born in this time. He was born just before, but he was certainly a child when all of this took off. And he was basically raised his whole life under the kind of the ages of the party. He was educated by them as much as the party could be said to educate anyone because the party only tells you what you need to know according to the party, not the broader history of the world because the party makes the history. It's very alarming. If you've been paying any attention to what's going on in our educational system, the fact that they are trying to erase history and rewrite history and make it something it isn't, very reminiscent, okay? And incidentally, this is not just the socialists that do that. This is very much happening here in America. And while we may be trending towards socialism, we are still by and large a capitalist economy we're sitting down on the job and letting them do this. So um, he's educated by the party. His job is a party job and his friends in as much as he has friends are party members. He doesn't really have friends. See, Winston is too smart for party membership. He has managed to piece together what he sees around him is not reality. And, and he's figured this out. He knows that his job is falsifying history so that the party always seems to be on top and there is no escaping the party. Along with that great government job comes the not so great government housing, which is constantly watched. And I don't mean they have somebody sitting outside. I mean, the vid screen in his flat is not just there for him to watch. It's there to watch him and pick up everything that is said in his apartment. Our technology already does this, guys. That's not terrible. The problem is she tried to make a drinkable cocktail and this is drinkable. The, the victory gin in uh, 1984 was horrible, according, I mean, just, you know, you drank it as fast as you could because it was awful, but this is not bad. So knowing that the vid screen is watching and listening to every word you say, and you never know when you're actually being watched or when I mean, it's on, but somebody might not actually be monitoring you right that second, you had to constantly guard yourself from emoting any reaction in any way that might tip your hand to the thought police. And Winston has a secret. While wandering the city of London, he wandered into an antique shop and purchased a diary. And this was a pre-war manufacturer, which was of such superlative quality that he wanted it. If for no other reason than it was beautiful. And this is straight up contraband. You're not supposed to have this. Even if it's just empty, even if you never write it, the owning of it is contraband and you're guilty of thought crime for having wanted it. 
and buying it certainly makes you a criminal by party standards. So, but it's beautiful. He wanted it, he bought it, and he has exactly one spot in his apartment where he can't be seen from the vid screen. He can still be heard, but he can't be seen. So he starts to write in his journal. All of this is criminal under Ingsoc policy, which is short for English socialism, and it's grounds for unpersoning. But he can no longer be certain, like he can no longer contain his rage at the lies that he sees surrounding him. Uh, and he feels like he knows what life should be, but can never be under the party. And while he is aware that he is walking the road to perdition, he can't stop himself. He knows that this is going to end in him being unpersoned, canceled, but he can't stop himself. He, he has to get this out of him. And he kind of starts to wonder if the Brotherhood exists. Now, the Brotherhood is an underground rebellion believed to be fighting against Big Brother and Ingsoc. And he kind of starts to wonder um, if he can find them or if they'll find him. If it really exists, can he join this rebellion? How can we overthrow Big Brother? How can we put a stop to this? And he finds himself again at the antique shop and buys himself a coral paperweight. Again, because it speaks to times past that will never be again. And it's beautiful. And when he's leaving the shop, he notices a girl from the Ministry of Truth. And he thinks that he's been found out. He thinks that she's following him. She's one of the thought police. And he almost follows her to kill her, but decides not to. He decides that's just one, one crime too many. He's not going to do that, so he goes home. Which is a good thing, because the next day at the office, she, she trips right in front of him, and when he helps her up, she slips him a note that says, I love you. Now, technically, he is married. However, he has not seen hide nor hair of his wife in at least a decade. I mean, she, she left him after about, I don't know, a year, year and a half, because they failed to conceive a child. And it's their duty to the party to procreate and have children. But since the party is set to destroy all joy in life, which includes sex, sex with his wife was a completely joyless affair. Um, frigid. Frigid applies. So he didn't really care that he hadn't seen her. He would have been more than happy to stay married and even living in the same apartment if they just didn't have to have sex. That is how bad the sex was. And he didn't even want to have sex with her because she was so frigid with it just rigid and joyless and this is my duty i must do this for the party and that's all she wanted was to, to have a child for the party um and, and he pretty much had sex once every two years he'd go out and maybe visit a prostitute which he, he writes in his part in his journal which is certainly against party policy it's not something but it's not something the party would necessarily specifically round you up for unless you were so careless in seeking out the prostitute that you did the deed right in front of the Ministry of Love, which was responsible for maintaining law and order. But unless you were that blatant, they pretty much were going to look the other way because they recognized on some level the biological necessity of sex. So anyways, back to the girl. Her name is Julia. She's at least 15 years younger than him. She's told Winston that she loves him despite having never spoken to him but they start a love affair. And you kind of start to get the sense of hope in the book, right? And that they've got something good blooming. They, they rent the room above the antique shop for their rendezvous, and the old prol, uh, proletariat who owns it is happy for the income and discreetly lets them use the room as often as they can schedule their time together. And at work one day, he's stopped by O'Brien. And it's such an unusual thing. I mean, he had already had kind of glimpses and thought that O'Brien was maybe like him, too smart for this. O'Brien knew that this was all a sham. And O'Brien blatantly stops him right in front of one of the vid screen to talk very nonchalantly about the latest Newspeak dictionary with, with the latest 
vocabulary cuts. They're trying to reduce the language. Every, every language on the planet grows exponentially every year because people come up with new words. They were actually reducing the language. They were trying to get down to about 500 words, which is really sad. O'Brien says, come by the house. I'll give you a, the, a forerunner of it. You can start working it into your updates that you have to do. Boy, my hair is doing something weird back there today. So gives Winston his address. And Winston does go to the house, bringing Julia with him. And O'Brien says, well, that wasn't very smart, but you're both here. Are you willing to, to fight and die for the Brotherhood? The Brotherhood's real. We're inviting you in. Are you willing to join us? And they both say, yes, we're willing to join you. We're willing to do this. We want to overthrow this. We want to end this. Julia was slightly less enthusiastic. I'm pretty sure that she wasn't actually that smart. I think she was clever. She, she was clever in how to evade being caught in what she was doing. But she didn't actually care that life sucked for everybody. She just wanted to stick it to the man. And the best way she had found to do that was promiscuity. Remember, sex is supposed to be joyless and for procreation only. So having sex as often as she liked with whoever she liked was her way of right to the man. So O'Brien gives specific instructions on how a, uh, how a book with the history of Oceania, Oceania will be delivered to Winston, which happens just when Oceania changes their war from being against Eurasia to being against East Asia. Now, at this time, there are three global powers. There's Oceania, East Asia, Eurasia. And at any given time, Oceania is at war with one of them. And when the book starts, they had been at war with Eurasia. But now they're at war with East Asia, which means that every single document indicating the enemy at one point had been Eurasia has to be altered. It has to be altered. Because nobody can know that they were ever at war with their ally, Eurasia. So a week later, he's finished the required edits. Winston meets with Julia at their love nest above the antique shop, and Winston starts reading the book. And it's a pretty detailed breakdown of how socialism works. I mean, everything you would expect to find in the communist playbook is laid out, and it's pretty accurate to how communist states run themselves and the people who lived within their borders even today. Um, and I know that from reading the Gulag Archipelago, from reading uh, Mao's Great Famine, and, and that's consistent with what I found in those books. And after time, they both fall asleep, and when they wake up, they find out they were betrayed. The shopkeeper who sold Winston the book and paperweight, who was renting the room to them, was a member of the Thought Police. Essentially, the shop existed to lure in wayward party members and lay a trap for wrong thinkers. O'Brien is also part of the Thought Police. Um, I had... Like I said, I, at the beginning of this, I had not actually read this book before. I knew the references because of how thoroughly Orwellian predictions had entered the mainstream consciousness. I had, really naively, been expecting happiness and rebellion, that the Brotherhood was real and socialism is overthrown. Uh, instead, I got a pretty accurate rundown of what happens in the gulags. <laughs> Recognizable because I read the Gulag Archipelago and One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. And as O'Brien says, if you want to know what's coming next, imagine a boot stepping on your face forever. That is what is coming under socialism. And through copious torture, they break Winston. He recants every stray thought he ever had that wasn't good think. Now, I know you guys think that, that oh, well, it's torture. Of course they got him to do that. And there's something to that, right? Torture is the, the least effective method of 
extracting information from anybody because they'll tell you anything you want to hear to make the pain stop. And that's been documented multiple times. There is a book on it, which I haven't read yet, but I remember his name. I'll look up his name and kind of include it in the, uh, you know, I'll, I'll put it above me here. I'll put it above me here. But there is a book on, on why torture is grossly ineffective. The thing is, the party doesn't care that it's ineffective. They know it's ineffective. They know they're just going to be told what they want to be told. Their goal is to break you so badly that even when the torture stops, you'll still tell them what they want to hear. And um, that's that goal is met. I don't think they kill him. Or no, they don't kill him. Excuse me. It's not that I don't think. I know they don't kill him. He was probably not important enough to kill. He was just a mid-party member, party mid-level party member. So they have the inner party, which is where O'Brien was sitting. You've got the party members, which was Winston, and then you've got the proletariat. I think they kick him out of the party and drop him into the proles because he wasn't important enough to be killed. It's not expressly stated that he was kicked out of the party, but when the book ends, he's no longer living in that apartment. He's no longer under the ever-watchful eye of Big Brother, which Big Brother didn't watch the proletariat as closely because the proletariat didn't matter. Incidentally, the proletariat does not matter in socialist states either. They give not two shits about the working man in Soviet states. Uh, or socialist states, I should say, because it's not just the Soviets. It's all socialist states. The working man is completely irrelevant. He is rather a sad drunk, drowning himself in gin and passing time until he dies. Um, he, he nominally has more freedom as a member of the proletariat, but as the party saying goes, freedom is slavery. It's that changing of language. This book was a horror story. I mean, it, it is nominally about the ultimate endgame of socialism. I mean, so was Animal Farm. Orwell was a socialist, but he saw how the policies being enacted under the various regimes would ultimately play out. And he wrote these amazing novels as warnings. Um, and it's not just socialism that he was warning about, though. He was warning overall about the danger of an overarching bureaucracy. It, this is what happens when people fall asleep on the job, when we the people fail to call our elected officials to the table when they step out so far out of line. This is very much what we're looking at. When you get people like AOC saying, oh, we should, you know, put people in re-education camps because, you know, they voted for Trump. This is where we're headed. The entire book calls out what happens when we don't fight back against dictatorships and tyranny. And socialism is the death knell of a free society. One thing I noticed... I so did not want to notice this, but it just leapt off the pages at me. Um, Jacques Derrida is credited with being one of the founders of postmodernist and deconstructivist philosophy. I think he was heavily influenced by 1984. The, the idea presented on these pages that truth is subjective, that there is no ultimate truth, that words don't have meaning and don't matter. This development of newspeak that was found in 1984 are also found in postmodernist philosophy, right? This idea that there isn't truth, there's my truth. That's a postmodernist ideal. I speak your truth, you've heard that. There's no such thing as your truth. There's the truth. This 
um, reversal of language, the, this belief that you can cancel somebody. Remember, you can choose not to be canceled, can't choose to not be unpersoned. They canceled Winston. Didn't unperson him, but they canceled him for sure. And it's effective. Think about it. Okay. When I said that, that through copious torture, they break Winston and he recants every stray thought, this wouldn't take much to do. Okay. Most people who are canceled apologize for it. They immediately reverse course. It's already working. Okay. If you apologize for having said something that offends somebody that wasn't intended, if you apologize for microaggressing somebody, then you're co-signing this level of bullshit. Okay. People need to grow a thicker skin. You don't need to apologize for having a thought that somebody doesn't like. When you apologize for having a thought that somebody doesn't like, then you're bowing to the thought police. Don't have to do that, guys. It's not too late to choose not to be canceled. Anyways, those ideas that this, it's so evil, it's so subversive and wrong, this postmodernist ideology. And postmodernists use a whole lot of words to say a whole lot of nothing. They're just, it's word vomit. My God, have you ever listened to a postmodernist speak? It's, it's rambling nonsense. And in 1984, O'Brien uses this rambling nonsense to convince Winston that Winston is insane. That two plus two does equal five because the party says it does. This book was depressing. <laughs> it was, it was excellent. Don't get me wrong. It pulled me in. It pulled me along. That's, that's, how Orwell writes, he was very to the point. There's not a whole lot of extraneous words that were used, but it's thought provoking and absolutely terrifying because it does not have to be just the socialists that bring about the destruction of humanity. The postmodernists are certainly helping and there you'll find very few postmodernists who aren't also socialists. I'm not going to say they all are. I haven't met every postmodernist on the planet, but a lot of them seem to think that socialism is just fine. Fascism is just as vile and in many respects, in fact, in all respects, it's the opposite side of the same coin. And that coin it, are the wages of death. I mean, you can use that coin to pay the ferryman, regardless of whether or not the coin lands on heads, or on heads for socialism or tails for fascism on the coin flip. And it's the wage of death. It's awful. Um, this book... I don't want to, I don't believe in required reading because it's not everybody's cup of tea. All right. And required reading in school is what makes people not read anymore once they get out of school. But it's definitely thought provoking. And if you do read it, you, you need to read it very open-mindedly, especially if you're a postmodernist. I mean, this is a giant red pill, a giant red pill for anybody with the mental capacity to recognize the parallels. Not everybody can, but there it is. So that's it for this week. If you liked what you saw, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and I will see you guys next week. Bye.